Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing my best. Yeah. You know, we're, we're hanging in there. Like, I have no idea when these episodes actually end up getting released relative to when we record them, because we usually wait for the opportune moment. But yeah. it's like, the oil price is crashing. There's a near pandemic. Justin yeah. Verlander's injured. Yeah, I, I mean, saw that. Just, I thought of what, you. What else are you trying to do to me, world? <laughs> right? So it's, um, when, it's just like when it, it comes in waves. And actually, it's funny because I saw, interesting, you know, because everyone's talking about it, but the whole coronavirus thing, it was like every election year, something has broken out. Now, I don't know if yeah. it's coincidence, but normally coincidence leads to suspicion. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not a coincidence. Right? Never. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, hey, you just got to. Yeah, we, we do what we can do. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm actually a little wee bit tired today. Uh, my wife took me out for my birthday last night to a nice concert oh. at the Toyota Center. So that was a pretty good time. What, what did you go see? Uh, Post Malone. Oh, yes. For all my hip hop friends out there. Was uh, it good? Yes, it was. My wife and I are big Post Malone fans. And actually, one of my customers I saw this morning also was there. And uh, so we got to talk about it. But here's the very interesting thing if anyone's listened to Post Malone's lyrics, they're certainly explicit, among any other thing. I would say 70% of the people there were under the age of 14, oh. accompanied by their parents, who were taking videos of them and pictures and then sending them to their friends. It's a very interesting time. Uh. I would have never gone to a concert like that with my parents. Uh, so anyway, yeah, it just I found that very odd. It was. It reminds me of... I went to school in Austin, University of Texas, and uh, I would go to Walmart at like two o'clock in the morning or whatever, you know, just, yeah. and there would always be like families there (laughs) on like a Wednesday night or something, and you'd just be like, I just, I don't know how this works. Yeah, (laughs) right? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, to each their own, uh, but certainly it was, it was, it was interesting. My wife and I were were certainly, like we were sitting beside a couple uh, who were uh, in their probably mid to late 40s, early 50s. Uh, the gentleman was wearing a McGallan shirt with uh, camouflage Crocs. Nice. Uh, just certainly wasn't dressed for the occasion, but <laughs> perhaps they liked the music. I don't know. It was. Uh, we were very shocked. But and even the openers were, you know, like hardcore hip hop rap. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it, it was a it was a great time. Uh, but uh, it was it was it was we found some comical relief on on the people that that were there. But nonetheless, uh, I'm making it today. So. Looking forward to bedtime tonight. But I think it's worth talking about drilling fluids. What do you think? It's kind of what we do. Yeah. So it's we're probably more qualified to talk about that than Post Malone and <laughs> child rearing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, Matt, something that we've, you know, we've mentioned a little bit here and there, you know, talking about density or, you know, mud weight. Uh, I thought it'd be a good idea. Well, actually, you came up with it. But uh, we both thought it'd be a good idea to talk about weight material and uh, what we put into the mud to increase the fluid density, AKA mud weight. What do you think? I like it. I mean, I think the the reason I, I was sort of pushing for this is there are these alternative materials out there. There's all kinds of conversations about Bayrite and mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So of course we want to talk about Bayrite, but we want to talk about all these other options that are out there just so people are aware that 
there's kind of all kinds of shapes and flavors of this stuff and, and ups and downs with. Yeah, of course. And then, you know, it's kind of interesting too. A lot of people ask the question, you know, where it comes from and how it's actually put in a bag. And so I thought, you know, we could talk about a little bit of the logistics behind it and the manufacturing part and yeah, um, just kind of give people an, a, a, you know, a bit more clarity on the whole subject. So uh, anyway, let's get, you know, weight material 101. Why would we use weight material? Well, we've talked about reasons to have mud weight, you know, keeping the hole open, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, pressure control, uh, you know, well control, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, we could use brine. Sure, that provides weight. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the most part, it's not necessarily the easiest, cheapest way to go, especially as you get heavier. Sure. Um, and so in light of that, we like to add inert solids that... Uh, hopefully don't do too much to the drilling fluid um, to increase our overall density. So we adjust the fluid properties to suspend them and then we drill ahead. So when you say inert, how would you describe inert? So inert is the under typical drilling conditions. They're not going to interact with anything. Right. Um, So, I mean, ironically, there are some of the like, I've I've actually investigated using magox as a weight material because it's acid soluble, but um, if you keep that in mind, so it'll go into solution, it'll give you some pH, but eventually it, it buffers out and you can actually have solid material present. Okay. So it's not technically inert and it affects your fluid properties, but that's probably also the reason that I didn't use magox is it'll cross-link your xanthan, it'll do all these other things if you have too much of it in there. Okay. So... Inert in as much as we don't want it to interact with the fluid properties too negatively. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also important to remember that just because it doesn't chemically interact, um, you know, purity can be a, a, an important thing to consider. Like, it's the question of, okay, well, bayrite has a certain purity, um, but what else is it? Does it have a bunch of quartz in it? Because that's really abrasive. Uh, right. You know, there, there's other things that you have to account for that could really affect um fluid performance um but when when we mean inert i'm trying to say something that under typical drilling conditions isn't going to dissolve interact with the other additives and create a bunch of problems it's basically just going to act like a solid that's there gotcha no that makes sense uh so oftentimes when we're talking about weight materials we 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 reference it according to its specific gravity why is that important so specific gravity is basically going to tell me how much density contribution I'm going to get per unit volume of that particle. So a higher specific gravity should mean that I need less volumetrically to achieve the same density, uh, which works out really well. You know, Bayrite's got a relatively high specific gravity. It could be that we want to use only acid-soluble materials, so we might use calcium carbonate in a reservoir drilling fluid. Right. Well, it's got a much lower specific gravity, which means I need a lot more of it to achieve that density. And that can create problems with high plastic viscosity, that sort of thing. Yes, yes, yes. Um, what are some of the downfalls with regards to, you know, if you, especially if you're using a lot of weight material, meaning you have a very high-density fluid, um, are there any sort of negative side effects or things that we need to consider, especially, you know, with regards to properties or even drilling for performance? Uh, the main thing is, is definitely your plastic viscosity, right? So how much pressure does it take to move that so it's going to increase my ECDs. Uh, if we get as heavier mud weight, um, we're going to try and increase our oil content so that we have a really good dispersion. I'm talking about oil-based mud here. We yeah. have a really good dispersion of solids. And 
you know, my sort of rule of thumb is once you get to about 30% by volume of solids, you're kind of, you're, you're in kind of the toothpaste region. Yeah. Um, where it gets harder and harder <clears throat> to circulate. Um, and then maybe you have to take a look at a solids free option. So it, it may be that you use a brine and some solid weight material. Right. Something like that to reduce the overall solids. Yeah. No, I can attest to that. I remember, you know, being offshore and of course the pressures offshore a lot of times are quite a bit more than they are on land. And I think we're drilling with a 16 or so pound oil based mud and we ended up building a slug that was like 18.2 or something like that. And it was like, we had to have the perfect ratio of, of wetting agent, um, you know, with a splash of thinner and, you know, just to be able to actually mix it and pump it. Um, there, there was certainly some science behind it, which there always is, but you know, if you're drilling with a lower density fluid, it's, it, you know, the recipe for building slugs is, is quite, it, it's just a routine operation, but when you get so thick and I remember looking at a mud check on it because I was like, just out of curiosity, like how much of that overall volume was taken up by an actual solid. It was like, it, it was like a moving block of solid. It was, yeah. it was pretty, it, it was it certainly, I mean, you know, for the drilling fluid geeks out there who've done it, you know, you can appreciate uh, being able to work with, with, with how much solids is in a drilling fluid if you're at those types of dens. Um, that being said, talking about extremely high densities, what are some options, you know, starting off with the most basic and most common being barite, um, you know, what else is there that we typically can use in the oil, uh, in the drilling fluid world? So I'll, I'll name some common ones and then we'll get a little exotic. Uh, yeah. and some of the driver, uh, behind some of these is higher specific gravity. So, um, we start with barite. You know, we used to have API standard was 4.2. I think it used to be 4.25, actually, way, way back. But it's getting harder and harder to find good bayrite. And mm. by good bayrite, we mean not only... I, I think pure bayrite is like a 4 or 5 SG. So the other stuff that's not there, the, you know, heavy metals we don't want in, in, in it. Um, and then uh, the quartz, the high quartz, some of these other things. Um, and so bayrite API is accepted 4.1. Um, we have, you know, the old 4.2 you can still get, but it's more expensive. Yeah. I mentioned calcium carbonate for our reservoir drilling fluid applications. When we get really heavy, um, you know, hematite, iron oxide kind of stuff, like specific gravity of neighborhood of five. Um, now, hematite is mine. Um, I think there's just a couple of places. I think somewhere in California you can get it. And typically those are your, that's when you get above that 18, 19 pound. Um, the, the issue with, hematite in particular is very abrasive mm, okay. um and so a lot of times you'll use that as a with a blend of bayrite so you won't use 100 percent hematite um because it will wear out tools very fast and you know i've looked at some old recaps and that sort of thing and and i've seen in exploration wells where once they're struggling to keep well control above about 19 pounds I, you know they had to kill the well on one i, I think i remember you know at about 21 pounds they just abandoned the well. They couldn't, you know, I, I don't think they had the BOPs for it either, but, um, are, are there any cases like globally where it's not uncommon to see 20 plus pounds and like, do we drill that deep or with that much pressure anywhere? Well, I mean, my experience in particular with some of these fields in Azerbaijan, uh, and it was just exploration wells from way back when they got that heavy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you, it's obviously not as common, but you come across them. 
it's just it's really hard to have an economical fluid at that density. No kidding. Um, hmm. And so you've you've really you're really stretching your options. Sure. Um, so uh, you know, um, manganese tetroxide is a common one. That's that's most of the time you see that it's it's used as a uh, it's used in um, low ECD fluids. It's typically precipitated, so it'll have like a D fifty of five microns or something. It'll be fairly small. Uh, cementing, it's used a lot as a cementing weighting agent. Um, ilmenite, back in the day, that's got a specific gravity about 4.6. Ilmenite, back in the day, was being heavily considered. I think up in Norway, there's a lot of natural deposits. Um, it turned out to be very abrasive as well. However, uh, you can, I think you can precipitate it, and so you'll get you know nice little spherical fine particles. Um, but it's, you know, you don't see it everywhere. And, and one thing I'll say, so a lot of these as we go down, so I've seen iron carbonate, 375SG, strontium carbonate. Um, what I want to point out about those is you hear those pushed every once in a while. And, and one of the tricks is they say, oh, yeah, it's acid soluble. Well, a certain percentage of it is. Mm. Um, it's soluble to hydrochloric acid, usually at some high temperature. So you, you need to test, is it acid soluble at my conditions where a lot of places you can't pump hydrochloric acid you have to use formic mm -hmm. which is much weaker it won't react at that low of a temperature um and so at, the definition of acid soluble i feel like is sort of a loose term um but taking it a step further some of that stuff especially when you have these cations you, you solubilize iron and magnesium and some of these other things if you leave that fluid down long enough it will actually, when you dissolve it, it will turn into like a really rigid gel. Um, oh. Not too rigid, but probably would block production. Um, and so even though it's acid soluble, let it sit for a few days and it may have dissolved. But if you don't bring the well on, you could have a real problem on your hands. Um, so those more exotic things, like when we tested uh, strontium carbonate, it was only, you couldn't even get it very pure, but it was, oh, carbonate, soluble. Right. Um, but it, it was kind of bad news. And then the last big curveball I'll throw at you is <laughs> the opposite of weight material, hollow glass spheres. Oh, wow. Um, so okay. these are out there. They're not cheap, um, but basically it's a glass sphere that's got air in it. Hmm. So you could have something that's like a 0.5 specific gravity. Um, so you could use this to have very lightweight muds. Uh, Sub-hydrostatic. Um, there's a paper presented recently where they had to drill well and i think they needed like a six and a half pound per gallon mud um mm. not i will emphasize again not cheap but um yeah. where was that you know or i'm sure it was in norway okay. um that's that's how they roll up there they're, they're they're okay with some pretty expensive mud okay um seems like we need to get over there yeah well <laughs> i don't know if they're drilling much i don't know what they're doing but uh <laughs> fair enough so yeah. so the idea there obviously is you you uh, treat the mud with a certain concentration, which will yield a certain density. Um, is it is it typically added? Obviously, you need to suspend it, so it would be added to like a like an actual mudded up system. Yeah, and I mean the interesting thing is you, you call it like an uh, an anti sag me measurement is is how I heard it referred. But uh. you got to make sure the beads don't all float up to the top now. Yeah, so you got to keep them all dispersed and and that sort of thing. Wow, um, they it... were hollow glass beads were like a thing about. I'm gonna say ten years ago. Is that it was, is it, I've heard Afron 
system? Is that similar? No. So Afrons are actually bubbles. Um, uh, We should probably do an episode on that nightmare because it comes up periodically. Um, Sneak preview. I'm a big fan. Yeah? No. Doesn't sound okay. uh, That wasn't very convincing. Yeah. But um, (laughs) I guess the whole gamut of these things, uh, you know, we're trying to find something that reduces the volumetric contribution of the weight material. But higher specific gravity could also mean that it it's more sag prone. Gotcha. So some of that stuff you may actually use a smaller size particle than typically. Makes sense. Uh, well, I mean, we we've talked about the specific gravity, but also something that is really important when talking about weight materials is the grind size, also known as the micron size. Mm-hmm. Why don't you touch on that and and sort of how that varies? Sure. So API Bayright is pretty much just a spec between sieves. It's not a distribution curve or anything like that, but it's less than 74 microns and more than three. Um, so it, it sits between those. Uh, however, uh, there are fine grind that wouldn't necessarily be API spec per se, um, but you can find um, there's some products that have a D50 of one micron. Um, and the idea is, you know, very unlikely to sag. You don't need as much viscosity to suspend the material, so lower ECD. Um, and uh, I mentioned precipitated materials. You can actually precipitate bayrite to get very fine particles. Uh, I think I think the, you know, you get into a pretty significant cost here when you're doing something that fine. You're right. Um, but there's also an amount of energy that you expend to get really fine particles because it's got to stay in the middle long. So, Either way, they're getting you. If you're precipitating it, there's cost. If you're grinding it with a special mill to get it really fine, there's cost to that. Sure. You have to account for both. Um, and so, yeah, the, the distribution can vary. And at the end of the day, I mean, the Bayrite spec is what it is. That doesn't necessarily dictate that that's good mud or not. So having fine particles doesn't necessarily kill you. Right. But it, it's going to add cost. And in some applications, it's well worth it to minimize risk. Makes sense. So <clears throat> a lot of the stuff we talked about, um, you know, are, are chemicals and, and different minerals, but but because barite is probably the most common, I, I wanted to ask, because this is a question that comes up quite often, um, and not specifically to our company, but as a, as a drilling fluid industry, where does barite typically come from or where can it come from? So most of the barite is going to come out of China. Okay. Um, and we, we may have talked, we did an episode a while ago kind of talking about how China's Increase their restrictions on environment. Um, one of the big things is you're, you you kind of like jet the side of a mountain and get some of this ore. Mm. Uh, so there's water use concerns. Mm, right. There's some mines that are kind of aging out in the U.S. Uh, you know, India, Morocco. I think I remember some good ore coming out of Kazakhstan. Um, there's there's a number of places around the world where you can get it at different purities. You may get different kinds and blend it together yeah um so it may not have you know it it may not always be the same color it's still bayrite yeah. um but uh it goes back to that quality concern i think there's some coming out of mexico yeah um that i think uh there was i don't know there was something a while ago about oh this mexican bayrite has problems and um i don't know i never got a sample so i couldn't tell you yeah uh but sometimes it's just different or looks looks different tastes different i don't know um, <laughs> right well it's funny 
like Barrett comes from all over and I can't tell you how many, and you probably get it more than I do, but uh, however many people on LinkedIn try to reach out and slide on the DMs to sell Barrett from God knows where it's coming from. Um, so I politely tell them to add Matt Offenbacher to their LinkedIn and ask Matt. So Yeah, you... I was going to say, I get a lot of those messages too. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how that happens. <laughs> no, I, I haven't done that, but it's certainly, uh, it, it's a hot commodity and, and people love trying to sell Barrett to the U.S. drilling fluid providers, I assume. Uh, among many other things, but uh, LinkedIn has its has, has its benefits, but it certainly opens you up to a lot of shenanigans. Um, anyway, moving forward, how does uh, how would you describe logistically? How does it come out to the rig? Because there's a few different ways it actually gets transported and and deployed onto the rig site. Right. I mean, I mean, the most common way is is pneumatic transfer, right? Uh, at least when we have some silos out there. I mean, obviously we can get it delivered in bags. Yeah. The reason why we're reluctant to do that, I mean, if you've seen a Bayrite sack. It's very tiny and very heavy. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of handling concerns. Even trying to get down to a 50 pound bag is, it would be very, very tiny. Yeah. Um, and so you look at that and you say, okay, if we can pneumatically convey it. That's, that's our preferred way is that we have these big trucks. We actually just recently had a, a loading video showing how we load our Bayrite truck. I saw that. That's um, cool. So check that out on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, but, uh, We'll we'll pneumatically convey it, basically blow it over mm-hmm. like a well, dust. Back up even a little further, how we get it from dock to mm-hmm. then mud plant to okay. then rig. So it begins with a boy in a dream. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, with, it all starts, this ore is mined, and it's usually pretty big chunks of what look like rock. Yeah. Um, it's loaded on a boat. Let's assume we're shipping it over sea, which is probably the cheapest way to move it from one place to another. Yeah. It's going to be sent over. And, you know, in our example, we have a sister company, Superior Weight Products, Weighting Products, that uh, uh, they have a mill, well, several, a couple of mills, actually, in one building, though. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they'll take that material and they'll start crushing it down to a certain size. And then they'll grind it down to you know, whatever spec size they're looking at. Yeah. Um, so then that gets loaded into your rail cars, your, your sacks, uh, however it's going to be transported. Um, for the most part, let's say we're going out to West Texas, it's going to be loaded into a rail car, and that rail car is going to get on the train tracks. It's going to be hauled down to, let's, let's say we're going to Kermit. Mm-hmm. And it's dropped off at Kermit. The, you know, the car is, is there, and, and it's pulled up next to some of our big, lovely silos. Um, and so they will pneumatically transfer that from the rail car into one of the silos. And by pneumatic, and you know, just for people out there who maybe not be familiar with the term, that means by air. Yeah, so you're circulating air, and basically that airflow is actually going to cause this dust to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the trick is, offloading a rail car, the less full it is, the longer it takes, right? So yeah. when I start out, it moves pretty fast, and it slows down. Um, and so... One of our things is we get it loaded into these cool, um, big, tall silos that can hold like 350 tons each, mm-hmm. um, and we can gravity drop it into the truck, which it has a load cell on it, so it knows how much Bayrite we actually dropped into the truck. Yeah. Um, but then we're not pneumatically transferring it, so you can get a truck on and off location in 10 minutes. Yeah. It's super automated, really fantastic. But then it's going to have to pneumatically blow it over when it gets to the rig. We'll have Bayrite silos there. Mm-hmm. And, and cement is pneumatically conveyed as well. 
uh, we prefer to not mix those trucks up because cement does horrible things to our mud. Yeah, that wouldn't be but, good. Um, it's happened, but we'd rather it not. Yeah. Um, you know, so so that's probably the predominant way. In some areas where they're not possible, you're not using heavy mud weights, so they don't want to have them out. Normally, you're not going to have the same opportunity, but cal- calcium carbonate, some of these other things, if a rig can handle big bags, you can use that to add this material. Um, so big bags, I know how it sounds. They're usually a 2000 pound bag or a metric ton bag, 2,204 pounds. Um, and you can actually carry that with forklift, whatever, get it over a hopper, you know, cut open the bottom or normally there's something you can yank out of the way and that material will fall in, uh, and you can add it. Um, some of these things are, uh, are actually transferred as a slurry so some of the really fine weight material especially precipitated materials might actually just come out as a concentrate oh, okay so it, it's almost kind of like when you're handling brine if you're trying to weight up with brine you just use like a what's called a spike fluid a really heavy fluid that you add to your lighter brine right. um because it's much easier than handling dry product if you can even get it in this case you're sort of, you weight up and you're just adding this heavy liquor mm-hmm. um and so slurry is another option. Obviously, there's like liquid transportation concerns. And um, as much as, you know, my knowledge and experience, as much as they say uh, you don't, you know, you want this to be a sag-free fluid, if you put it on a truck for long enough, it will, material will settle out. If you jet it, it'll go right, it'll refluidize right away. Okay. But um, you still have to kind of keep that stuff mixing around. That makes sense. So the overall cost for, for different things, you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, and I don't know if there's more to touch on, but, you know, we talked about grinding it, and there's certainly, it, it takes, you know, in, in how we do at Superior Weighting Products, you know, that's part of the process is, is grinding it and bagging it, but um, is a lot of the cost due to how much energy gets put into actually making it um, usable on the rig? Yeah, I, I mean, energy, energy cost is a big factor. So if, if, if I need a finer product and I have to leave it in the mill longer, it can be quite energy intensive. Mm. Um, so really, really fine products typically can, uh, I'll say really fine products that are resilient, that need a lot of grinding work. So calcium carbonate is relatively cheap, but the finer you go, arguably it would be more expensive to manufacture. Okay. Um, but it, that also depends on some other, things. but um, uh, yeah, very, pro- very fine ground products, especially trying to really fine grind Bayrite. It can. It's going to be more expensive than your traditional size. Um, it's not just that they're going to charge you more because it's a magic size. <laughs> right. um, although they'll probably do that too, um, <laughs> just because it's not out of the main. It's not in the mainstream product offer. Yes. Right. No, nope, um, that makes sense. Um, what about fluid properties? Now, obviously, the you know the fluid density itself will increase because that's the whole point. But are there any other properties that one might want to kind of be mindful of as you're increasing the density? What else can look at that may initially kind of catch you off guard, but know that it's because of the amount of solids being put into the mud? I, I mean, at the end of the day, hopefully this is an inert solids contribution, but we have to go back to, let's say I did get some bayrite from south of the border, and it turns out it had a lot of quartz in it, and we had tool erosion, or we, you know, we had something happen that was a pretty big deal like we, we want to get a sample of that and check it mm-hmm. um that being said 
you know, the big thing is plastic viscosity, right? So I can't pump on a really heavy fluid if my particle size distribution, or not my particle size, my weight material concentration is so high. Right. Um, and, you know, I can lower my plastic viscosity by thinning my fluid, but then I have to suspend this material. So then I lower yeah. my particle size distribution. Um, when we get to those 17, 18, 19 pounds, where it really becomes a fight, we start getting into these exotic things that are more expensive, um, but there's hopefully a cost justification that we're trying to drill an extreme well anyways. Right. Um, so I think, I, I mean, that's that's kind of, you know, my, it, and, and I think it's worth also looking at it as a whole too, right? So you've got to balance out, you know, there's arguments to be made that 4.1 SG Bayright is cheaper because because you know volumetrically it does it's not that much different than 4.2 and that really depends on your mud weight and your overall solids there's a bigger economic picture you kind of have to work through Mm -hmm. um you know i think at the end of the day it'll sort of justify itself because people aren't going to be offering 4.2 because it's just too you know too expensive to offer um you know the irony is everybody wants bayright as cheap as possible every bid what do we talk about the cost of bayright yeah which I mean, to me, is ironic just because the scarcity of it. I mean, in my mind, it it's it isn't appreciated for how scarce it is. Where someday, you know, people are going to start running lower and lower on this stuff, and and you're either going to have to compromise on quality, which could create some issues, um, or you have to pay more for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and it, it goes back to a lot of these things in the oil field. We're not the only users of most. Of this. Right. So. Um, we may accept it dirty and cheap, but a lot of folks won't, and they may dictate the market for us. Yeah, most definitely. Um, well, something else with regards to fluid properties, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about making sure you had enough, you know, rheology to actually carry the solid. Um, is there a rule of thumb? I mean, I've had people ask, and, I'm, and it's probably dependent on how high you're going up on your density, but what would you say a good rule of thumb is or a, at least a bare minimum on your yield point and your low end rheology before you want to start adding ferrite or any weight material for that matter? I mean, I think I'd probably try and take folks back to the SAG episode yeah, where we talk about point. a lot of those factors. Um, it, you know, the thing is that, for example, 17-pound mud probably isn't, there's so much solids in it, it's it's not likely to SAG because the bayrite's got nowhere to fall. Yeah, um, right. So you you have to take into account your risk factors along with your rheology. And a lot of the rheology where we know we can measure it is at such a low shear rate that um, it's difficult in the field to really measure. Scometer sac shoe test can help. There's other things, but even, you know, unsheared mud, we know we want some seed mud. Yeah. Um, are you pumping at really low rates? Because if you are, it doesn't matter what your rheology was. You're probably going to have sag if you had deviated hole with certain mud weights. Mm-hmm. So um, the answer is it's complicated, Justin. Right. No, and, and 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 you're right. Like you can't just throw a number out there and, and have people chase that. But ultimately, I mean, point being, you cannot just start adding weight material unless you've got some form of rheology to spend it. And so it's it's case by case, and every you know every system has a certain uh complexity and and different makeup and how the rheological profiles uh, you know actually you know react in the system or how how they you know it it, it depends and so i'm not going to beat that to death but that's i guess you know the point i was trying to make is like it's not just a one size fits all and so certainly 
you know, if you're out there and you're having to wait up and that's in question, you know, talk to your account managers or, you know, engineering supervisors or whatever the case may be. But, but be mindful that that's something that's extremely important is having enough rheology to suspend Barrett. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, thinking about wetting agent, if you're in it with oil-based mud and yeah. going from a, you know, 16 pound to an 18 pound. So I'm all of a sudden waiting up two pounds per gallon. Guess what? I need to add, I need to add oil too. Yeah. Um, which is totally counterintuitive, but that's a great um, point. Yeah. You know, so there, there's just, it's not just throwing this much Bayride and everything will be fine. And, and it, it even going towards, like you'd mentioned, adding thinner or, um, you know, you go from a nine pound mud and then you need to go to something in water base and you need to go up to 12, 13, you've got to disperse that system. Um, you know, so it's, it's complicated is the answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, no, that's the stuff that probably helps us keep our jobs is, is that if, if we could just give you a number, we would, we would do it. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. That's uh, those are all the questions I had, Matt. Um, hopefully we didn't uh, get too into the weeds with weight material, but certainly something that's important and something that we deal with every single day. So yeah. Anyways, any closing last words? I think the only thing you just reminded me of, and I, I don't, it's not what you said, I guess okay. you looked at me and I was like, aha, one other thing. Yes. So when we talk about uh, formation damage associated with these, some right. people say, oh, Bayrite's a damaging material, or one of these is damaging. They're not actually damaging. The question is, can I remediate it? People love calcium carbonate because I can hit it with acid. Okay. Bayrite, it's all about bridging, which we've talked about. It's about your particle size distribution, your overbalance. But whenever I see somebody say, ah, I ran a return perm test on this product and it's not damaging. Well, if it's inert under most of our conditions, it it probably won't be, but I could still damage the formation with the wrong particle size distribution, some of these other things. And, and conversely, you know, trying to say, oh, this is damaging because it's not soluble. It's no, I mean, solubility, if I can destroy it with acid, then if it caused any damage, hopefully I can get rid of it. Yeah. But if you also do your design work up front, um, I've drilled plenty of reservoirs with Bayrite and we've been just fine. Interesting. No, so. that, that's great. That, that's good added information, Matt. I'm glad that by looking at me, you thought of all that. <laughs> Thank you for the inspiration. Right, exactly. So, uh, well, look, folks, if you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, or uh, anything you'd like to add to this, you know, please let us know. You can hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com or hit us up on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, we would love for everyone out there who's listening to, if you haven't already, please leave a review. And if you've done so and you're in the Houston area, hit me up or Matt for that matter, but I'd love to grab a cup of coffee and all it's even on me. So if you leave a review reviews for coffee, how about that? We can pay for that. I Mm. will pay for it. Don't worry. Okay. We'll get her figured out. I have a suspicion my dad's going to give us a review soon then. (laughs) No, it's a point being, you know, it just, that's what keeps us, uh, you know, keeps this thing alive and, and certainly uh, the support is much appreciated. So with that being said, everyone out there, have a wonderful day and we'll catch you on the next one. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.